This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How are you going? Doing very well, thank you. Big shout out to all the dads out there. It was Father's Day yesterday as we record here on a Monday night. Uh, did you have a good Father's Day, Tom? I did. I did. I had a good sleep in and I took the kids out. <laughs> I just stayed That's in not bed. Father's Day? Yeah. You don't get to sleep in on Father's Day. Yeah, no, well, they, no, they made me breakfast and a very cold coffee. Oh, nice. First thing in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, and then let me go back to bed, which I was oh. best Father's Day ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, I took mine to the salvage yard. Um, oh. Anna asked me what I wanted to do on Father's Day. And I said, I want to go to the salvage yard. I love going. It's my favourite. <laughs> it's one of my, it's my happy place, the salvage yard. They have just <laughs> stuff from everywhere. And the kids have a good time too. They just find junk and play with it. It's probably quite dangerous, but hey, everyone's having fun. <laughs> uh, all right, massive show coming up. Uh, zombie companies are on the march. It's no use hiding in the old abandoned warehouse down by the docks. That's exactly the kind of asset a zombie company would own. We'll find out what you can do. <laughs> Have NFTs run their course? Maybe I'm going to create an NFT to celebrate the end of NFTs as a hedge. And Japan (laughs) wants to boost its economy by getting more people to drink alcohol. Opponents say this is not the solution to the baby formula shortage. But first, (laughs) last week we climbed Mount Unemployment and reached the Jobs and Skills Summit. Thomas, what did we learn? (laughs) Uh, yeah, we had the the much hyped, much covered jobs and skills summit um, last week in Canberra. Labor government pulled that one together. A um, little bit of a vintage move. So when <laughs> <laughs> we're going for a classic summit, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, no, like one of the the glory achievements of the Labor Party was the accord, which uh, Hawke which came in after the Hawke election and he got, mm-hmm. he got the unions together and, um, yeah, got the, got the accord up with a summit of a kind there. So I think they're trying to, like, hark back to those glory days. Having, what, was the, what was the accord? Is that some, uh, something to do with jobs? Well, yeah, <laughs> wages. It was an agreement for the unions to sort of put a, put a handbrake on wages right, for a bit okay. to sort of help get inflation under control. Right. That was the theme of the party. No big achievements Nothing to Did anyone go up. fancy dressed? Just as a <laughs> Mr. Just misinterpreted the fact that it had a theme of jobs and skills. Just rocking on the Someone 80s rocked wear. up dre- dressed as a hammer. <laughs> oh, this is awkward. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, what what did it what did it achieve? Anything? Uh, not much. I don't think. No. I mean, it's disappointing. Yeah. I mean, the thing with these summits is. Like like all sort of these international conferences like the GE, G7, G20, mm. it's all decided beforehand and then you kind of just pretend to talk about it on the day. That seems to be the case with this one as well. The um, conclusions or the 
of the of the session came out at five o'clock on the Friday just after it finished. So oh. they turned that around pretty quick. <laughs> and to get the drinks in. Yeah. We gotta get <laughs> just gotta just gotta smash out this report. Quick whip around. Right. Any highlights, anyone? What did we do? <laughs> Not much. The bar opened yet? So there's a few things, nothing, uh, nothing, nothing too impressive or amazing. The, the key, the sort of the, the the key thing to take away, and probably the one thing of note was a big increase in the immigration intake. Okay. So yeah, so that they announced that, and they've, they've been talking about this for a while. So that was no, there was no surprise to that. Um, but yeah, but permanent, the permanent immigration intake up from 160,000 to 195,000 a year. Yeah. Now going forward, yeah. What's the uh, what's the logic with that number? One hundred ninety-five. They couldn't they couldn't go round it up to no. two hundred. I think I think it's a bit like when you're buying something at shops for nine ninety-five, <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, it's under ten bucks. Yeah. It's like oh, it's a hundred thousand something. Yeah. You get five thousand immigrants cash back. Cash back. <laughs> <laughs> No, it right. is, but it is like that. I think, like, because it's, it's a big increase. So mm. um, that's so that's the permanent immigration intake, and then you've got the humanitarian on top of that, which is probably another twenty to thirty, and then temporary visa holders and student visa holders. So it ends up being quite a big a big lift. So was one sixty like down from like as a result of COVID kind of situation, or and we've oh. been tracking at one sixty for a while, and this is now quite a, oh. a big uptick. Yeah, no, yeah, well, we went to zero through COVID. So right. one, the 195 or the, or the 160, that's a cap. So it's yep. up to that. Okay. But then when, with COVID, yeah, we didn't get anywhere near that. It was zero for a couple of years. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's a cap in that sense. Right. And 195, yeah, like that's, that's, that's a big number. It does change around year to year. That's at the high end of the sort of range of the last 20 years. Mm. You know, like having that 195 trying to like make it keep it under 200 like yeah the home affairs minister claire o'neill said that um there is nothing in this room with universal support but an area where almost everyone agrees is that we need to lift the permanent migration numbers this year the thing about that is that the last survey i saw said that there was only six percent of australians wanted to restart immigration at a higher level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seems that most of that 6% were at the Jobs and Skills Summit. <laughs> it's not a popular move. No one, no, the, yeah, people, people aren't called, voters aren't calling for it. It's more coming from the business community. Is that to help with the employee shortage at the moment? Like, cause you know, it's, yeah, sort of, that, I mean, that's, enough workers. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the thing that, I mean, that's mm. what we talk about this skills shortage. Mm. No one can really identify where those skill shortages are, but yeah, this is, this is what we, we need to bring workers in to, to help businesses cause there's an epic skill shortage. Mm. But you, you, you look at that, like if I was to say to you, someone coming on on a skilled worker visa, how much do you think they have to earn a year? to be classified as a skilled worker to get a skilled worker visa? Oh, I wouldn't even know it would have been based on price. What's the, yeah, what's a skilled I worker thought, salary? I thought it would have been skills-based. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe 80000 Yeah, 53000 Hmm, That's low. It's low. Yeah, it's not it's not high, and so so it's kind of like, and this is this is one thing the the unions were pushing for. They wanted to they wanted to increase it, and saying like the skilled mi- migration visa is is a way for businesses to bring in workers right from overseas rather than paying and competing on, on, on local workers. 
So that necessarily keeps your wages down. So if you're bringing in skilled workers who are earning $54,000 a year, that's keeping the wages down for people with those skills locally. Mm. And then that discourages skilling up because you're not going to, you know, they're bringing in accountants who are earning $54,000 a year. So why study accounting? Because, you know, there's no upside to your wages because as soon mm. as there's a any wages pressure, they're just going to bring bring people in overseas to keep the wages down. So that's sort of what the unions were pushing, saying that, that that's what that's how the and that seems to be by and large how the skilled migration programs used. the The ACTU they wanted to one of the things they were pushing for at the summit it didn't get up, but it's still on the table. Is they wanted to cap that that floor earning floor to go up to ninety two thousand. The fifty three thousand, so from yeah. fifty three to ninety two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want it. Oh, so saying like if, if it's a, if it's genuinely a skilled position vocation yeah. that's yeah that's really a really rare set of skills that you can't train someone up in Australia to do, mm. and and this and it's a little bit hard to imagine what skill is so rare that you can't give someone with a year or two's worth of training you can't skill them up. But imagine mm. that there is something such a specific skill set. If it is that specific, <laughs> I can think of a few. like surgery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. But like, what's surgery? Three or four years? It's like it's. it's <laughs> I thought you were going to get all like, what surgery? What I surgery? could do surgery. Oh, <laughs> Anyone? Give me a scalpel. Don't yeah. even need a scalpel. Actually, just give me that knife over there. Yeah, but but I mean, the, I mean, surgery is a good case in point. Like, it's, you're taking about doctors giving them another. I don't know what it is. Say it's like mm. six to ten years of training. Yeah, yeah. So the wage should be the signal to a doctor to invest in the training to get mm. to become a surgeon. Right. But it's a short-term tweak to just go like, ah, oh, let's not worry about it. Let's just bring someone in from overseas. Mm. And so it, it means that wages don't act as a signal in the economy the way they should, the way that everything else acts in the economy. Like if there's a shortage of pencils, then pencil suppliers know they can, the price goes up and they can supply more pencils. Mm. So yeah, the, the the price sort of the signal gets gets um, diluted there. But yeah, so the ACTU wants to push it up to ninety two thousand employer groups saying that's that would wreck the system because seventy percent of applicants would get knocked out by that ninety two thousand. So we know that fifty seventy percent seventy percent. So seventy yeah. percent. The the floor is fifty four. It's very low, but seventy percent of people coming in on skilled visas are coming in at under ninety two thousand a year. Well, cash registers are getting harder to work these days. Mm. They're, all, they're all electronic now, so yeah. maybe you know, mm. I don't know. Maybe you need certain skills to to ring up, ring the till. So, I mean, it's interesting. The unions were sort of on board with this, and I think it's coming from like particularly with nursing and aged care. Like, there's there are shortages. In, in those sectors and that's creating big problems and, and, peop- and people in those sectors are really stressed and it'll help those people to, to bring in more workers. Mm. But again, the price of that is you, you suppress the wages. If you're bringing them in at low wage rates, you suppress the wages in that sector. Yeah, like if you're a nurse and you're getting paid, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what the average salary of a nurse is, but if, let's say it's 80000 and we start bringing in nurses at 60000 Mm. That's not good for you because now people are looking. Now business is looking at you, going, "Well, you're a, you're an expensive nurse. We could just get a cheaper one." Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that that's how it's working. And mm. and really, really, the long term solution should be: if we need more nurses, we should pay more. The nurses should get more, mm. and that and we we should encourage people to look at nursing as a career and go, "Ah, oh, yeah, nurses get good money, mm. which they deserve because it's hard work." Yeah, and. 
if there's a shortage of nurses, pay nurses more and encourage more people into the into the field. That's that's sort of that's the classical kind of economic argument that you know that's the that's the actually the weird thing is that's the free market argument of how that that market should work Mm. but we have this intervention this heavy-handed intervention from the government kind of seemingly designed to sort of squash wages right well yeah maybe you should go to the next jobs and skills summit i'll see if i can see if we can get you a seat yeah sounds like you got some good ideas yeah (laughs) some big ideas (laughs) All right, Thomas, we're going to talk zombies now. What is a zombie company? Yeah, a zombie is a company that is not earning enough to cover its interest expenses on its debt. Right. Yeah, this is one of these things that sort of morphed from being just a sort of a vague insult into a specific financial term. <laughs> so so there's, there's two tests that it has, that it's, that it's existed for more than 10 years mm-hmm. and that yeah, its interest coverage ratio is less than one, which, yeah, basically just it's just not its income uh, before interest and tax isn't enough to pay its interest. Right. Not even the principal, just just interest. Just interest. Mm. So why are we talking about it? Why well, are we talking yeah, about so it now? it was interesting. So Christopher Joy at the Coolabar Capital put out a report saying he's updated his quantitative zombie detection model. <laughs> I like it. This is yeah. this is my kind of economics. Yeah, this right. Is, yeah. You're, not getting, you're not getting that in your art history podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's got a zombie, zombie detection model. I yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, basically, just sort of just crunches the numbers on on all the companies there. But so what what he found that in Australia, 195 companies in the ASX, or 13 percent of companies on the ASX. Uh, mm. zombies by that definition interestingly that compares with 10 percent of the american in the new york stock exchange and nasdaq together 10 percent of those are zombies mm. but then he sort of says like well the 10 the 10 year rule doesn't make all that much sense right because it's like if you're a young company you, and you can't you're not earning enough to pay your debt you're still in trouble mm. and that sorry that and that um not paying that debt not not paying the interest that's for three years in a row so it's a reason. It's a reasonably high hurdle. It's not that you've just had a bad year. You've right. had three years in a row where you haven't earned enough to pay the interest on your debt. Yeah. So even though you're a young company, you could still be, you could still be kind of struggle street for three years. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. If you're three years in a row not paying, not covering mm. enough to pay interest, you're in trouble. And if yeah. you've ever watched zombie movies, it's the kids that are the scary ones. <laughs> you see the kids zombies and like, yeah. you know, a little four-year-old zombie walking around. That's that's scarier than the adult zombies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one's scared of grandma zombies. <laughs> you just punch grandma right in the face and move on. <laughs> that kid walking around with a creepy doll <laughs> trying to bite you on the shin. They're the ones you got to watch. Yeah, so, anyway, he, so he, he drops that age limit. And just says any any age company, and then it's thirty four percent of the ASX, so one in three companies. Whoa, yeah, yeah. So a third of the ASX is a, <laughs> is classified as a zombie. That's that's worrying. Yes. Is that is that a new thing? Is that is that up or down or like is this a COVID result? Uh, I don't want to try and tie everything back to COVID, but it's been no, a pretty pretty. Rock and roll uh, sort of actually, time. It didn't actually say. I don't. I don't mm. know. I think it is up. I think it's 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 up because and because partly it's an interest rate story. I mean that's why right. we're saying it's worrying that it's already one in three and interest mm. rates are rising. 
RBA met yesterday by the time this is coming out and then probably hike mm. rates 50 basis points again. So interest rates are up. So that means that, that interest expense is rising and already one in three companies on the ASX are not earning enough to just, just to cover interest. Right. Yeah. So yeah. how do they do they do they live very long these zombie companies? I mean how do they survive if they're if they're not they can't pay their way? The, the concept of zombie companies came came about with with quantitative easing the first round back after the GFC mm. and kind of saying like when interest rates are so low it's easy for zombie companies just to keep kicking along and really mm. they should be wound up and their resources should be allocated somewhere else. I think we talked about maybe it was very briefly a while ago about zombie companies I think in the context of budget rent-a-car. Oh yeah. Um back in the early days of covid or Early oh, days yeah. of meme stocks or <laughs> early days of something <laughs> recently. And, yeah, and I think because they were considered a zombie company. Mm, mm. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, that's sort of, it's, yeah, the, the concept's been around for a while and it's, and it's mm. one of the criticisms of super cheap money is that it keeps these zombie companies going much right. longer than they should. Um, and, that's what, and that's what Christopher Joy is saying. He's saying, like, we're, we're moving into this rate height cycle um, and then we could be looking at the first default cycle in Australia since 1991. Like we haven't really had a shakeout of the corporate sector in Australia since mm. 1991. And, yeah, we, we could be looking at a situation that as interest rates rise, more and more of these zombies just can't keep going anymore and, mm. and fall over. Right. So, so what does this mean for the, for the outlook then for the ASX? Is it it's a bit pessimistic? It's a little, yeah, Doom it's a bit gloom. grim. Yeah, it's mm. a bit, it's a bit... I mean, Christopher Joy tends to be a bit on the bearish side, but he's very good. I have a lot right. of time for him. He's 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 very sharp. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the other interesting thing is he he breaks it down and saying it's really bipolar the, the distribution. So you've got a lot of companies that are zombies or on the edge of being zombies, mm. or you've got companies that are that are really in a really good position. Um, you know, saying it kind of looks like there are a lot of deep value stocks and also loads of junk like growth wannabes. <laughs> right. that, that's how he's that's how he classifies the ASX. Yeah, but yeah, like I, I mean, that'll weigh on the indices. Like those deep value companies, they'll be all right. But like if you're you know looking at it, your ETF and a whole bunch of those start going mm. going bust. That's um, that's not going to be good for the for the overall indices. Even worse, I guess, if those. Zombie companies start biting the healthy companies. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's a signal for me. If, if they start, if someone starts chomping on Combank, some little, some little, some little neo bank just starts. <laughs> that's that's a sell signal for me. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Going to catch. Uh, all right, let's take a break there. We'll grab a word from our sponsors this week. We'll be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget, you can catch FinFest happening October 15th. Head to equitymates.com forward slash FinFest for all the details. Thomas and I will be there. It will be a hell of a time, no doubt. Thomas, mm. NFTs, what's going on with NFTs? Yeah, apparently the trade of NFTs dried up. There's no liquidity in the NFT market anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, this this DAP radar I don't know exactly what they do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they compile, they compile some data. Sympt- uh, symptomatic of the entire NFT ecosystem. <laughs> There's this company. We don't know what they do, but yeah. they're involved in NFT somehow. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. But no, they they analyse the data on OpenSea, which is the, oh, yeah. the big NFT marketplace, and saying that transactions volumes are now are down in, in dollar values are down ninety nine percent in four months. Whoa! Down from two point seven billion to just nine point three million. Mm. Yeah, so massive, massive drop drop in um, value of transactions on on OpenSea. Mm. Yeah, users are down by about a third as well. Yeah, and then the NFT prices themselves are. are yeah, tanking as well. Board Ape Yacht Club's down fifty three percent. Crypto Punks is down nineteen percent from right. its peak. So yeah, so See, what's his name? Seth Green would be spewing, won't he? He mm. paid all that money. He, he oh. had it, lost it, bought it, had to pay, would have paid top oh, dollar to get right it back. That. So he's he's bought it twice. Twice, <laughs> right at the high. And now even if he wants to, he can't sell it. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. uh, let's hope his TV show that he makes with it goes mm. well. Yeah, but you know what? You know what's surprising about the the collapse of the NFT market? No, nothing. It's just one of these things that just looks dumber and dumber the more you look at it. Like mm. JPEGs of apes, which you know, I, I get. There's a there's a blockchain based identity system attached to each one but it's like that doesn't mm. increase the utility of the jpeg by anything it just makes it kind of seemingly unique and mm. fundamentally it's just a fad well there were those pet rocks as well i don't know if you oh, saw those yeah the pet rocks you could buy like rock id number 23 and it was just a different shade of the same rock it wasn't even a, the thing that annoyed me about that is it wasn't even a good looking rock, good looking like, rock. Oh, really? i don't want <laughs> i don't want to get all vain <laughs> <laughs> and start judging rocks like I'm some sort of uh, rock expert. But it's just a picture of a rock and there, yeah. Yeah. And, and then it stopped even being unique among the NFT space because it was just like more of the same rock as mm. different IDs. Like whoever did it was genius. I hope they cashed out and made squillions because it was <laughs> that's like the big short of the <laughs> that's the kind of genius at work that takes to to do that in the NFT market is just to go this is ridiculous. Mm. I'm going to make like a thousand rocks and sell them for heaps of money each even though they're the same thing and just take money from idiots basically. Yeah, so yeah, other than yeah. being able to just pick up like a cheap JPEG monkey now. Mm. What else does this well, mean? Is I this mean, that's, but that's the thing. They're still they're still trading at one hundred and ten thousand dollars each US each. Are they though, or are they just listed? It's like when you go uh, on eBay okay. and you want to buy something. <laughs> You're just trying to, you uh, know, right, get right. a feel for how much something's worth, and you check on eBay like, whoa, it's like, you know, uh, yeah, okay. This Maybe. grandfather clock's like a thousand dollars. It's like no, someone's just asking a thousand dollars for it. <laughs> you yeah, don't know right, whether right. 
Open OpenSea, to be to be fair, they're disputing the the analysis, right? Yeah, because they say that that volume shouldn't be measured in fiat; it should be measured in ETH. Oh, okay. Oh, right. But so even on that measure, it's still down sixty two percent. It's tis but a scratch. Well, that's right. They're, no, they're like, yeah, we're we're in for the long haul. Yes, there's, you know, market moves in cycles. Mm. All of that crypto winters here. Yeah. Is it though? Is the crypto winter here? Uh, well, I, mean, I think there's a night. I think people are clinging to the narrative of a crypto winter because it implies a crypto summer. <laughs> well, you got to have crypto spring first. I'm crypto very spring, much yeah. looking forward to crypto <laughs> spring. <laughs> yeah, but there's right. no there's no guarantee. You know, it's, it hasn't. No, there's no that, like it could just crash and go to nothing. Mm. What does this NFT story teach us about? about value mm. and how much things are worth anything i look at like i look at crypto and i look at nfts and it's obvious that there's a lot of hype mm. you know like there's clearly things there like dogecoin for example parody coin there's obviously people trading on it knowing that it's a parody but like just taking that gamble i'm i'm buying now and i'm just going to gamble that it goes up and i'll sell out later so that's pure specul that's a purely speculative trade and there are NFTs and there are crypto coins that are purely speculatively driven. And I think it just gets increasingly hard to make the argument that, yes, there's all this speculative trade going on in these shit coins and ridiculous NFTs. But over here, there's some fundamental value that, you know, it's like how, where's price discovery when you've got Dogecoin doing what it's doing? Like, how do you determine what, what a Bitcoin is actually worth when is for, for now, it's a purely a speculative vehicle. You're sort of hoping that it proves its usefulness at some point. But I think, yeah, like, and, and in that sense, like any price is rational in my mind. Like, I mean, there's a flaw that's set by the mining costs, I guess, for, for Bitcoin, but which is still well lower than what, what, what Bitcoin's currently trading at. But like until the market, until, until you have some mechanism of price discovery, which leverages mm. off some utility it's it's just anyone's guess mm. i think okay i did see a, a website someone created the other day i think it's called is el salvador down and <laughs> it's just tracking how much <laughs> el salvador's government is down after buying and and treating bitcoin as you trying to use it as a utility as a currency mm. they bought tons of it right well what to do now then i guess if, if there's no bitcoin and no nfts uh, I did see crypto horses. You could you can buy a crypto horse now. Mm. <laughs> you could you can race them. So I think that's for me. That's where I'll be taking. That's the where the smart money's heading. <laughs> I think that's got a real future. All right, Thomas. Finally, Japan wants more people drinking alcohol. What's going on in Japan? Oh, yeah. This story is all sorts of nuts. Yeah. So the the. National Tax Agency, so Japan's equivalent mm. of the ATO, have launched a competition uh, trying to solicit ideas about how to boost alcohol sales. Yes, excellent. In, in, in Japan, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> alcohol, so the tax revenue from, from alcohol has, has tanked by 110 billion yen, which is almost 800 million. Mm. Um, yeah, so almost almost a billion dollars. The rev that's the revenue on alcohol sales is down almost a billion in 2020. 
saying that's partly demographics. It's partly, I think, COVID and people being at home, so not drinking at bars where the booze is more expensive, I guess. Mm. Yes, there's a big drop in tax revenue coming from alcohol. And so the ATO, so the National Tax Agency has gone, you know what, we need to get people drinking more. So let's start That's the solution, isn't it? It is. We need need more taxes. And there's not enough people smoking either. I think we could maybe Um. free cigarettes at schools. I don't know. Just... Let's get the kids hooked early. I think that's how we're going to drive tax revenue. I, I hate this. I don't. I don't. It like really what, is weird. It really is weird. Like surely they could come up with something that doesn't rely on causing harm to people. Mm. To like that's not the solution here. Like it bothers mm. me. In like I, I drive past the Glenelg Footy Club here in Adelaide all the time. And you'd be forgiven for thinking it was a casino. Like out mm. the front, there's just like gaming rooms open, 8 a.m. There's like like those road signs, the um, LED road signs showing, mm. you know, gaming room, new new pokey machines. And mm. it's like, it's just like, like I get it, it keeps the price of schnitzels down, right? <laughs> if you're running like a pension of dairy out the back just milking people of their of their pensions but like <laughs> there's got to be a better business model yeah. <laughs> to to creating that yeah. kind of that harm like you know gambling smoking drinking yeah. it's if that's if that's what you're relying on then the system's broken surely yeah yeah no that's right i mean a lot, a lot of the logic with like the taxation on cigarettes is mm. that cigarettes have a big health impact that you end up mm. paying for anyway. Mm. So you're kind of making smokers pay for their health care in some ways by taxing them at the point of sale mm. because that, there's, a, there's a cost to the health system down the line. And so you, you, you want to discourage it, but you're also raising revenue to pay for the health care down the line. So this kind of looks at, like I can imagine like the National Health Agency in Japan is just going like, the ATO is doing what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, can we have a meeting? <laughs> Just before we go live with the uh, Let's All Drink More campaign, this has got a few few concerns from the health department we wouldn't mind just workshopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the drink driving task force would like the word, did he actually? <laughs> I think they might be tackling it at the wrong end. Like the problem... Because they're trying to target young people, right? They're they're mm. like aiming this campaign <laughs> more worryingly at like what is it, twenty to thirty nine year olds or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. That's you got to be you got to be under thirty nine to enter the competition. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the right. I think like it's not that there's not enough young people drinking. I think it's that older people keep dying, presumably from alcohol related causes. So. You know, maybe if instead of trying to woo young people, they just get like better treatments for the older people and then uh, maybe start dishing out like free blood transfusions <laughs> with, your, with your next bottle of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> just keep those people who are already in, keep them sticky. Oh, so yeah, much, yeah, customer retention is much cheaper than customer acquisition. Exactly, exactly yeah. right. It's simple business. You should, you should enter this <laughs> Even competition. I know that. Yeah. So, the, yeah, so the, there's a competition. They want young people to come up with ideas about how to boost sale of alcoholic beverages. Mm. Closes in, on Friday, September the 9th. Um, the winners, there's going to be a gala award ceremony on, in Tokyo on November 10th. Free drinks. The, free drinks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. 
but the tax office is going to support the commercialization of any ideas that come out of the competition. The tax office is going <laughs> to... The, the tax office's food and liquor arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a slush fund just ready with a bit of venture capital if you've come up with a mm, great idea. It's like, yeah. yeah. Um, I did read too that they want to. They particularly want to leverage AI and the metaverse <laughs> somehow. They didn't. They didn't say how. They just like it'd be great if when you're coming up with ideas and how we can get everyone in the country drinking more, <laughs> if we can somehow shoehorn AI and the metaverse into your proposal. AI. <laughs> I mean, it's, it makes sense. Everyone can own a bar in the metaverse, That's so because right. you, so you won't have any of your typical problems getting to the front of the queue to get you to get your next drink. Everyone gets their own bar. It just becomes very hard to convert data into sake or whatever it is that you whatever it is you're drinking. Yeah, but yeah. the AI bit, though, the AI bit, I think, is a bit easier because. I don't know what Japan's major search engine is, probably Google, but you could just get the internet searches to return results just relating to drinking instead of whatever you were searching for. So, like, if you search for, like, cherry blossoms, you get, did you mean whiskey? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. It really really feels like there was just, there was a working group of accountants that Mm. were tasked with coming up with strategies for boosting alcohol sales and they just went, we got nothing. Let's let's out the sources to some young people. Yeah. And something, something, AI, metaverse, <laughs> something. Let's have a competition. All right, we're done. Oh, man. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see more alcohol in sports. I think, <laughs> I think if we switch out Gatorade for distilled liquor, how good would sumo wrestling be in Japan? <laughs> Just a couple of the big fellas, both had a skin full before they start. <laughs> You and I, we've been to Japan. You know, they do that, yeah, the pre-bout ceremony, ceremony where it's all very, it's all yeah. very kind of historic. Well, they th- and they, yeah, they throw the salt. It's yeah, salt. they throw the salt and just, just mix tequila. a bit of lemon and tequila. Yeah. It's asking for... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's, instead of that, you just yeah. replace the ceremony with, with more of your, your pub pub brawl style jibes back and forth a bit of you know <laughs> what are you looking at mate <laughs> are you calling fat what what <laughs> it's on <laughs> yeah i got i got nothing i got nothing else that's ridiculous it's just there's literally the dumbest idea i've heard in in mm. weeks and i hear some pretty dumb ideas in my life uh all right thank you so much for joining us on the show once again we hope you enjoyed today's episode and we look forward to your company next time on comedian versus economist it's bye for now Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.